It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome back to the MD Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and I'm bringing you the Week 13 Recap Part 1 today. So, of course, we're going over all of the 1 o'clock games today, all the injury news that we have to go over from those games. And, of course, as always, when I record on Monday night and you listen to it on Tuesday morning, I have a waiver wire segment for you. And, of course, it's an important one because we are going into the playoffs. The playoffs are finally here. They are here. Playoffs? Playoffs? They are here. They are here. They are here. Week 14, this is finally the moment we've all been waiting for. Congratulations to those of you out there who have made the playoffs. Hopefully listening to this show helped you get there, and that's why you're back for more as I guide you through your playoff run on your way to a championship, which is what it is all about at the end of the day. We got a lot of we got we got a lot of news to get to. Uh to, of course, to go off the top, um, we'll go through the games, of course, uh, with the news at each one of those games as well. But a lot happened this weekend that we have to go over since I recorded to you on Friday afternoon. I'm kind of glad I did when I did because you did not miss out on too much as far as the biggest news of the weekend goes. But let's go ahead and dive right into it because we got a jam-packed show today. Now, of course, the biggest news from Friday over the weekend was the news about Kareem Hunt. Just to give you an update on that story, Kareem Hunt was not picked up off of waivers today. He is a free agent. We will see what happens 
Uh, he can still be suspended and start serving his suspension right away from the NFL before he signs with a team, which apparently the news is that that's what he wants to do. He wants to try to serve his suspension as quickly as possible, come out, pretty much plead guilty the whole thing to the league, and and sp- uh, serve it this year so that way next year when he signs with a team, he would be good to go. Uh, and that is all possible here for uh, the NFL to do so. he This would be his first offense, I believe. So per rule, it would be six-plus games due to the nature of the video and the fact that this is from back in February and apparently he's on record as the lying to the Chiefs. Is, I mean, at least that's the excuse that they're using to cut him. It could be just the PR nightmare. But whatever the case may be, uh, that is the reason they are using the cut that he lied about. So we have him on record as of lying about the situation. And then we have the videos, which are horrid, uh, by the way, if you haven't seen them. They're not something I would suggest you definitely have to go and watch. You pretty much get the gist of it being how things went down this weekend. I have bet very few of you out there didn't see it, but if you didn't see it, it's not something uh, I would recommend watching because it's very, very hard situation. Uh, for Cream Hunt, <clears throat> I do think it could be more than six games given all of that information. However, there's about, well, we have four games left to this season we have week 14 15 16 and 17 so even if he was to get six games he would still and he started serving it this week which as of now as the suspension has not landed down as of yet so very well may not start this week but even if it was to start this week it would go at minimum at least two games into next season so we have to see what the nfl how the nfl handles this and everything this look This is what they've been preparing for, right? Ever since the Ray Rice videos and that situation presented itself, this moment of another player on video uh, committing a heinous crime of domestic violence, they've been preparing for this moment in case it ever happened again. And, you know, with the idea that they will handle it much better than they did the Ray Rice situation. So we'll see what happens here. That's why I tend to think he will get more than six games at the end of the day. But like I said, even if he was to start start serving that suspension this week, which as of now he's not suspended from the league, so that may not happen this week. But even if he was to start this week, he would still go at least into two games next year. And the longer it gets put off, the more games next year he would be suspended for. On top of us not knowing if it will definitely just be six games or more than six games as of now. So we know that this is. Then we know that we know the NFL came up with a policy on how it would do things, but we also know that the NFL has been pretty much fly by the pants when it comes to these situations and has been more reacting than being proactive in these types of situations because they are trying to appease the public rather than just sitting down and doing what's right black and black and white from that standpoint. So honestly, even though in the policy it says six games for first offense, we have no idea exactly what the punishment the NFL will bring down. I would not be surprised if it was a full year of football, if he had to sit out the entire 2019 season. Wouldn't surprise me one bit if that wound up being the case. But all we can go off of right now is it should be at least a six-game suspension, and even if he started this week, it would still go into two games next year, uh, not including you know whatever team does wind up signing him, if a team winds up signing him. Now, the situation with him, I think, is much different than Ray Rice. Ray Rice was at the end of his career. He was pretty much past his prime at that point, so... 
I do think with Kareem Hunt being so young and a budding superstar at this point in time, I do think there will be a team out there that will take a chance on him. Reportedly, there were several teams interested in claiming him off of waivers. Decided not to do so as of yet, probably because of the PR nightmare that would follow in doing so. Let things cool down a little bit. Maybe see what happens in free agency uh, going into next season. So we'll see. We'll take it from there to see what teams do that. But Something to keep your eye on. I do think Kareem Hunt will play football again at some point, but I am not 100% positive that it truly would be in the 2019 season. Okay, so that's my take on that situation. I figure we got to get that out the way. The rest of the big news from the weekend, we're actually going to go over in each of the games as we recap them because most of the news that we have from this weekend uh, was from the 1 o'clock game. So we'll be able to go through that as we go through each game here. So let's start off. Our first recap game with the Rams and the Lions. Now, with the Rams and the Lions, this was a very ugly game. Yes, the Rams wound up putting 30 up 30, 30 points, but <clears throat> this had to be one of the most ugly games we've seen the Rams still put up 30 points in as far as their offensive flow goes, their production, all the whole nine as far as that sense is. Jared Goff, 17-33, 207 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception. He had negative two yards rushing that he added onto his totals as well. Look, Detroit Lions defense looked actually competent out there. Uh, they looked pretty decent against Chicago too, but of course Chase Daniels was a quarterback, so you weren't going to really take too much out of that game uh, last week. So in this game with the Rams, looking pretty competent against that pass-heavy, not even pass-heavy, but just efficient offensive scoring team. Now, Todd Gurley still did his thing. 23 carries, 132 yards, two touchdowns. But because there wasn't much efficiency in the passing game, there's only 17 completions to be had, there wasn't a lot of work to go around in the passing game. Robert Woods led the way with the most targets. He had nine. He had five catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. While Brandon Cooks had six targets, four catches, 62 yards. Didn't score in this game. And then Todd Gurley and Josh Reynolds both had five targets. Gurley had three catches for 33 yards off those five targets, while Josh Reynolds only had two catches for 19 yards. Now, Reynolds was a pretty common pickup last week. I know a lot of people would be disappointed. Detroit Lions should have been a plus matchup, especially through the air, especially with Darius Slay. Either sticking Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods. Maybe we weren't sure which one it was going to be. It did wind up being Brandon Cooks for most of this game. But either way, you're thinking, hey, Josh Reynolds should have the mismatch no matter who he's on. And this is a team that even when they're not trying to put up a bunch of points, they still do because that's how good the offense is, especially in the passing attack. And it just wasn't so in this game. I'm throwing this game out. They're coming off of a week where they just put up 54 points on Kansas City uh, before their bye, came off the bye, played Detroit, still handled business. Obviously, when they won 30-16 and their passing game still didn't play all that well, you know they're going to bounce back. They were just in a situation where they didn't necessarily have to press the issue uh, when they weren't finding too much success at the same time. So I'm still not worried about Jared Goff if you're going into the playoffs with him as your quarterback, and a lot of teams I'm sure are. I'm not worried about Jared Goff. I do think Josh Reynolds is still a robust wide receiver three. His five targets... Uh, right there to our tie with Gurley, only one behind Cooks and four behind Robert Woods suggests that he is very much in the main rotation of people who are going to be catching the ball for the most part, which is going to be Woods, Cooks, Gurley, and Josh Reynolds. Those are going to be the four major guys catching the balls from the Los Angeles Rams. And of course, they're going to be much more efficient moving forward, much more productive out of that passing game. So I'm not worried about it. I wouldn't drop Josh Reynolds as a result. Just know what he is. He's a boomer bust wide receiver three. So you guys 
got to play the matchup and also be in a situation where you need to play a Josh Reynolds as well. Uh, Otherwise, I would look for other safer options, especially with the playoffs being here now on week 14. On the Lions side of the ball, uh, LeGarrette Blunt here, he had 16 carries for 61 yards. Didn't score in this game, but you can see that with on Johnson out, he still was the one carrying the bulk of the work on the ground and really wasn't terribly inefficient in this game. Yes, 3.8 yards a carry isn't great, but 16 carries, 61 yards against the Rams in a game in which towards the end there, they were starting to get blown out by a couple of scorers and they started to have to throw the ball a little bit more. Still not bad. You're playing LeGarrette Blunt right now. I think he should be owned. Uh, especially in standard leagues. He's a flex touchdown play with some floor capability because even if he doesn't score a touchdown, as you see in this game, as long as on Johnson is out, that is, of course, uh, he can still put up points for you. Now, of course, I'm not trying to say that Blunt is somebody who I want to hitch my wagon to now that we're here in the playoffs, but just something I'm trying to let you know of that he uh, is an option if you are have two hands tied behind your back sort of deal. We had some injuries this, this week that can affect the running back position for sure if you can't get your hands on some of the top waiver wire pickups that we'll talk about during the waiver wire segment here as well. Theodore Riddick had eight carries for 32 yards. He only tacked on a uh, three catches for 26 yards. So Theo Riddick was really quite disappointing in this game. Uh, I mean, you should only be owning him in PPR formats, and he's only a safe floor flex play in those formats. But even in this game, he gets you, what, eight, eight, nine points in this game. So really not what you're looking for. You're looking for double-digit points out of Theo Riddick. You really thought against the Rams, and being the score, the final score wound up being the way it was. Now, you go back and watch that game, of course, you know that game was a lot closer than what the final score suggests. But... Uh, being with the score it was, in the fourth quarter, they were down quite a bit. You would have thought that he would have gotten a lot more dump-off pass, especially with Kenny Galladay really being the only other legitimate option. Bruce Ellington was the one who actually got 10 targets in this game. Seven catches, 35 yards off of those 10 targets, so not very productive uh, on that. But in PPR, he did get you 10.5 points if you want to look at it that way. But Bruce Ellington's not somebody, if I'm a playoff team, who I'm going to be picking up and playing in my lineups at any point, uh, no matter what format I am in. Kenny Galladay had a disappointing game here. Three catches, 50 yards, didn't have any touchdowns, did have eight targets, Uh he came close to actually having a touchdown at the end of the game. He was only able to get one foot in, so it could have been a much different scoreline had he been able to get that second foot in in the back of the end zone on a on a nice a nice actual throw by Stafford. There just wasn't quite able to get that second foot down. Um, look, Kakeem Talib's back now. He was on a snap count in this game. He didn't play the entire game, but. Just seeing Aqib Tlaib in the lineup when he was, especially at the start of the game, with him and Marcus Peters and that pass rush starting to hum a little bit now, this Rams defense is going to be a scary defense. So if you're playing against the Rams, I a lot of people look at the Rams and like, oh, well, they're going to put up a lot of points, so I should be able to get some volume out of my fantasy guys who are playing against them, and their defense hasn't been the greatest in the world. Now, I don't think their defense is going to suddenly become uh, a shutdown defense, but a healthy keep to lead moving forward with the pass rush starting to meld the way, gel the way it is, and Marcus Peters playing much better now that he seems to be more healthy as well. This was projected to be a top five defense at one point. They seem to be getting back, at least from a health standpoint, back to where they were in the beginning of the season. This by no means is going to be a great easy matchup for anybody involved playing the Los Angeles Rams coming back. So just just keep that in mind here. Uh, Levine... Tolio, 
I know he had four catches and 90 yards on six targets. I know tight end sucks. It's still not somebody who I'm going to be picking up and streaming and actually trusting moving forward. All right, moving on here. Spent probably a little too much time on on that game. I'll try to move it along here. We got the Cleveland Browns and we got the Houston Texans. Baker Mayfield was 29-43, 397 yards, did have a passing touchdown, but three interceptions. Now, all NFL generally-wise, he didn't play a very good game. But for fantasy purposes, while he did have the three picks, because he almost threw for 400 yards and a touchdown, he actually still kept himself in the streaming territory of quarterbacks this past week. Wasn't completely terrible. We don't like to see Nick Chubb only had nine carries in this game. 31 yards he does get you to touchdown and he did tack on 41 yards receiving so at the end of the day he still got you a decent game but Nick Chubb has been playing at a level where he's become basically an RB one week in and week out where you've gotten used to expecting that kind of production that 16 to 20 point range out of those RB ones and and that's what he's become for you so I'm not taking anything out of it. They don't have the greatest matchups here in the playoffs. They got to play Denver next week. Um, so some teams like that are going to be kind of a not Denver next week. I'm sorry, Denver week 15. Uh, they play. I got to check again who they play next week. That's for the preview show anyway. Uh, but moving forward, they don't have the they don't have the best of matchups coming up. They play Carolina. That just came to me. They play they play Carolina next week. Which isn't a terrible matchup. Carolina has been run on a little bit more as of late. They're still not the easiest team in the world to run on, but they have been a little more susceptible to the run from the past month. So it might be as dire of a matchup as it used to be. But still, the point is, Nick Chubb still doesn't have a great matchup, but he has been performing admirably. He's very effective. He's a young, budding star in this league, I believe. He is can continue to be played as a... Uh, low-end RB1, very high-end RB2, who is going to be a touchdown monster. And uh, once again, new coaching, but no change for Duke Johnson. He didn't get one carry in this game. And even in the passing game, he only had, I believe, yes, he only had two catches for 12 yards on three targets in this game as well. Duke Johnson is just a non-factor on the Cleveland Browns. Maybe if he leaves the Browns, he'll be able to become more of a factor on a different team, but as long as he's wearing a Cleveland uniform, and now that you have Nick Chubb, who is probably the best running back that the Browns have had in recent memory, yeah, he is not going to be going anywhere. Duke Johnson is not going to be a factor for the Cleveland Browns. So if you're holding on hope to him in PPR leagues, do not drop him immediately. Jarvis Landry, out of nowhere, probably the week going into week 13, and and you're you're down a game, and you got to win in order to get into the playoffs. And you're probably looking at Jarvis Landry like, I can't trust you. It's been a month since you've done anything that's worth a damn. And now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he comes back from the land of the dead into the land of the living. Has six catches for 103 yards on nine targets. Didn't score in this game. Now look, what do you do with Jarvis Landry moving forward? Well, Jarvis Landry was never somebody you should drop in the first place. But I still think, I still think. He's more of a high-end wide receiver three in PPR leagues than he is a wide receiver two in all formats like you wanted him to be when you drafted him and was at the beginning of this season. This is the first game we've seen with under the new coaching staff where Jarvis Landry has really been a factor in the game, and it was a game in which the Browns only ran the ball nine times, which is not what they want to do. Nick Chubb hasn't run less than 18 times since they traded away Carlos Hyde. This is the first game where he's come under the 18 mark. So that is where it's completely different here. Um, 
So that's not going to be the game plan they typically want to have. They fell down a lot because of turnovers. Cleveland has been pretty much in their games each and every week, and I expect them to actually be in a competitive game against Carolina Panthers next week as well. So keep that in mind. I still think Jarvis Landry is more of a high-end wide receiver three in PPR leagues than he is a wide receiver two. So if you've had other options and you moved on from Jarvis Landry being a permanent start or an automatic start, I should say, in your lineups, I would continue to treat him as such, even against a susceptible secondary in the Carolina Panthers. This is something I'd have to see two weeks in a row for me to feel like Jarvis Landry is reestablished as a go-to target for Baker Mayfield in this game. Antonio Callaway had six targets and three catches and 84 yards. He did have a fumble as well, but this, if it wasn't for a holding penalty, that fumble, that fumble never would have happened and he would have actually had a long touchdown on two plays before he wound up getting that, that 70 yarder and a fumble on this one. So, He's been somebody, I still want to go pick him up. Look, remember, this is playoff time. This You have to feel confident in the guys who are playing in your starting lineups. This is not the time to fly off the cup, shoot up, shoot off the hip, and, and take shots all over the place from the waiver wire, from wherever else. You have a formula. You have a team that got you and put you in this place. I would stick with that team. Having said that, injuries happen, situations happen, bad matchups happen. Antonio Callaway has pre- has been pretty involved on a consistent basis over the last couple of weeks in being that big play wide receiver. Just something if you desperately needed him, but hopefully... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you're a playoff team, you would have options that you feel safer about because he is incredibly boomer bust. I mean, that, that play... That reception and fumble for 70 yards and then fumbling at the one-yard line and coughing it up to the other team, that pretty much encapsulates the Antonio Callaway season this year where he shows flashes that he has potential to be a superstar wide receiver, but at the same, for each flash that he has, he has just as bad of a mistake, of a mental breakdown, whatever the case may be, that holds him back from actually being the good player that he's on his way to being. So something just to keep in mind with Antonio Callaway if you're looking for options off the waiver wire at the wide receiver position. For the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson, once again, didn't throw the ball a ton. Threw a little bit more than last week, but not a lot. 22 of 31 here, only 224 yards, one touchdown, no picks. He's been a little bit better with the ball as far as the interceptions go for the most part, but still, yet another game where he only threw one touchdown pass. This is really what's been killing Watson this year. He hasn't thrown... For more hardly, I don't think he's only one game so far. He's actually thrown for more than two touchdowns. 
And even the game straight has two touchdowns are very much on occasion at this point. And it's affecting DeAndre Hopkins in the sense of, in standard leagues especially. In PPR leagues, I think you're okay with it because he's still getting a high number of volume. He's getting a decent amount of yards. Like in this game, he had 12 targets, 7 catches, 91 yards. If you're a PPR league that's 16 points, you're okay. You're not going to complain about that too much. If you're in standard leagues, it's still 9 points at the end of the day. still single digits because he's not getting that touchdown. And in, in this situation where Watson's really only, you can only count on him to definitely throw one and you're holding hoping he throws two. If Hopkins isn't the guy who's getting that one touchdown in that game, it can really severely limit his ceiling, especially in those standard leagues out there. So definitely something I am a little bit concerned about where DeAndre Hopkins, I don't know if you can go into the playoffs with the expectation that he can compete with those other top end wide receiver ones. He's still a wide receiver one, don't get it twisted, but he's on the more of the uh, mid-level to lower end of the wide receiver ones, I believe, unless he starts getting on another touchdown streak here coming up with with DeAndre Hopkins is always a good possibility to have happen. I was quite frank, was, uh, was, a little bit surprised that he didn't wind up scoring in this game. They have another good matchup against the Colts next week against that secondary, so look for him to get back on track. Lamar Miller, he followed up last week's huge game with another really good game here. He didn't score, but he had 19 carries for 103 yards. Uh, Alf, and this time, actually did out-carry Alfred Blue, who once again got 13 carries back-to-back and was efficient with it. He got 54 yards in this game. I don't know if Dante Foreman comes back and plays this season. Apparently, he's still not quite healthy. Look, we're going into week 14 at this point. The Houston Texans are on a, what, a nine-game winning streak. I don't know if the Houston Texans are really going to screw with that too much. So as a result, I do believe that Dante Foreman uh, may wind up sitting out the rest of this year and just try to come back and play for the Texans next year. As a result, making Alfred Blue the handcuff to Lamar Miller. Now, I don't know if that's a handcuff that you want to necessarily go out and get, but it is a handcuff that actually has some value even with the starter in there. And we know what he can do if he was to get all of the volume. He would be at least an RB2 play. So maybe something to think about on your waiver wires if you are a Lamar Miller owner especially. Uh, not much else to go over there. Demir- excuse me, Demarius Thomas had five targets, three catches, and 32 yards on this one. But uh, just not getting more than five targets really per game. And unless he scores, he really doesn't have a ton of value. Next up, we got the Bears and the Giants. This was kind of a wacky game here. Went into overtime. Chase Daniels is maybe his last start here. A lot of talk about Mitchell Trubisky being back for week 14, but he was 26 at thir- uh, 39, 285 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Really with Chase Daniels, all you were worried about is can he get it to your fantasy players? Well, he got Tariq Cohen a hell of a lot. Tariq Cohen here had 12 catches, 156 yards on 14 targets, and he tacked on eight carries for 30 yards as well. A huge game. You know with Chase Daniels, you know he's going to be more of a check down type of quarterback than anything else. Not that Trubisky is not, but Chase Daniel even more so, uh, given his lack of arm strength and his very, very, very small stature as well. Him and Tariq Cohen, he could probably only see Tariq Cohen out there on the field because they're at everyone else's kneecaps out there. Uh, just had a huge game here against the Giants. Now, look, I'm not expecting big games like this, but this is what Tariq Cohen is. He is a boomer bust play where he can make a big play or, in this situation, get a high-volume number of targets and really put up a lot of receiving points. It's it's one or the other. If you're playing him, you're trying to hit a home run at the end of the day. So just be mindful of the matchup. Be mindful of the quarterback situation. Definitely keep your eyes on what's going to happen this week. As long as Chase Daniels is a starter, I do think Tariq Cohen, especially in PPR leagues, is a very 
very, very, very good flex play. Uh, I still don't know if I want to put him in the RB2 conversation because it could be like last week where he doesn't get to see the ball all that much in Chase Daniels' play when he played against Detroit. So it's always a possibility that winds up being the case. But in PPR leagues, I do think he is a very high-end flex play to be able to throw in there as long as Chase Daniels is a starter. Even with Mitchell Trubisky, you know he's a boomer bust, but the volume isn't quite there when Trubisky's in the game, because Trubisky has gotten to the point in that offense where he's been more aggressive down the field to guys like Allen Robinson, who had nine targets in this game, five catches, 79 yards. Didn't get the score in this one, but not a bad outing. Now, the other thing we got to talk about, Taylor Gabriel had seven targets in this game, only three catches and 17 yards off of those seven targets, but Anthony Miller only had two targets in this game. One catch for a yard that happened to be a touchdown. It happened to be the tying touchdown at that at the end of the game, but the point here more so is that if you're holding on to Anthony Miller, a couple weeks back, I thought that we would see the rise of Anthony Miller. He had it looked like a couple weeks in a row where he had more targets than Taylor Gabriel coming off a pretty productive week that final week, and it looked like to me that he was going to finally take over as a second wide receiver, and that just has not happened and ever since Taylor Gabriel has had more volume than him. Hasn't had great production, but has more volume than Anthony Miller. I would go ahead and drop him if you're holding on to him because, I mean, you're holding on to Anthony Miller at this point because you know the Chicago Bears have a very excellent playoff schedule coming up, but he's just not getting volume where I could ever see him being in your starting lineup at any given point. On the Giants side of the ball, look, there's not too much to go over here. We know who you play. We know who you don't. Eli Manning, 19-35, only 170 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception, continues to hover around that five yards per completion mark. Uh, just, Just check down City. Odell Beckham's the best quarterback on that team. I feel confident that includes Kyle Lalletta, because I don't think Kyle Lalletta is worth shit either. So Odell Beckham's actually the best quarterback on that team. Hey, he's two for two for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Keep throwing, keep, keep doing those trick plays. He even like he even stepped up in the pocket and bought time like he was natural back there to get the guy wide open. Absolutely ridiculous. And it was to Russell Shepard who winds up leading the team in receiving yards because of that 49-yard bomb touchdown. Uh, He had two catches for 59 yards in this game. There just wasn't a lot to be had in the receiving game. Odell Beckham did get a touchdown, but he only had three catches and 35 yards on nine targets. Uh, One guy who we will talk about a little bit in the waiver wire segment was Rhett Ellison. He had seven targets in this game, four catches and 42 yards. Now, part of that had to do with the fact that Sterling Shepard got hurt and had to miss quite a chunk of this game in the middle of it. Uh, He did have four catches for 28 yards on six targets. Was able to come back, so he looks like he will be okay come next week. Uh, so that could be a lot to do with why Rhett Ellison was in there. But it goes to the point, if there's a tight end in there, he should get a healthy amount of volume from Eli Manning. And if you're desperate for tight ends, that just may be what you're looking for. We'll go over that more in the waiver wire segment. The real superstar of this game was Saquon Barkley. 24 carries, 125 yards. He also tacked on 21 yards receiving. I mean, he didn't score in this game, but the guy just continues to be an RB1 and had the highest of floors because he has pretty much been that entire offense. It's pretty much been Saquon Barkley with sprinkles of Odell Beckham uh, from weeks in and weeks out. That That's pretty much how the offense has gone. Just And that just has to do with poor quarterback play than anything else. But Saquon Barkley is the real deal and the future superstar of the league. Okay, our next game here, we have the Baltimore Ravens and we have the Atlanta Falcons. Lamar Jackson, a little disappointing in this game. Still wound up being serviceable. Still gets you 18 fantasy points because he had 75 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, which is something you've come to expect. Basically, Lamar Jackson is a running back 
who gets to throw the ball every so often. That's essentially what he is if you're looking at him from a fantasy perspective at this point in time in his career. He was 12 of 21 and only 125 yards. Didn't throw a pick, which is the good news, but also did not have a touchdown. And he was disappointing in the sense of if you're if you picked up Lamar Jackson and you're hoping to play him, you're hoping if there was going to be a week in which he was going to uh, tack on and show that he can put up passing numbers along with his rushing numbers. This was that week against the Atlanta Falcons defense. And the fact that he went out there and probably had maybe even a worse passing showing than he has the past couple of weeks as far as just pure numbers go anyway, uh, it was a bit disappointing as far as your prospects for being able to trust playing Lamar Jackson in your starting lineups with any hopes of having a ceiling while doing so. Now, keep your eyes peeled. Joe Flacco was back at practice last week. I wouldn't be surprised if he was technically medically cleared to be able to come back this week. I don't know if they'll name Joe Flacco the starter because the Baltimore Ravens have been undefeated since Lamar Jackson has been the starter. And because they've been running the ball so effectively with Gus Edwards and Jackson and been able to play really great defense because they've been ball controlling the hell out of it and their defense is super fresh when they're on the field and that is a really good defense if they're going to be fresh and energized they're a little bit of older defense so if you can give them a break throughout the game where they don't have to be on the field that long that's a very dangerous defense that could be the formula they want to go with moving forward uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if they stuck with Lamar Jackson but keep your eyes peeled on that we could see a change at quarterback depending on what the Ravens want to do moving forward Gus Edwards, who's a little bit banged up coming into this game, he was seen uh, in the fourth quarter with about four minutes left, kind of limping around on the sideline, didn't come back in the game at that point. Uh, as of now, it's not believed to be something that he's going to miss any significant time with or time at all. So just something to keep your eyes on as the week moves forward, of course, at MDFF Show on Twitter for those player news update notifications to be able to be up to date with all of the player injury news so you can get to the waiver wire first if you need to or make adjustments on the fly. Kenneth Dixon also came back in this game. He had eight carries for 37 yards, so if something was to happen to Gus Edwards, Kenneth Dixon would be the runner, but Ty Montgomery would be the pass catcher, and Ty Montgomery has actually been quite involved in uh, in the receiving game. Even in this game here, he had uh, he had five catches for 42 yards on seven targets, was by far the leading receiver as far as targets go from Lamar Jackson. So if Lamar continues to play, uh, Ty Montgomery might actually be an okay flex play to be able to have. Gus Edwards production-wise was decent, not great, but 21 carries for 82 yards. Uh, I don't believe he tacked on any receiving. No, he did not. Uh, that was Kenneth Dixon had a catch for six yards. And, of course, we talked about Ty Montgomery. That was the only running backs who were involved in the passing game. And he didn't have a rushing touchdown. But Alex Collins officially on the IR over the weekend. Gus Edwards is definitely going to be a starter as long as he's healthy moving forward. And Lamar Jackson is in there. He has a very high floor and a pretty good ceiling as a very solid RB2 for you. So that's what you can expect. And that's pretty much any matchup because their game plan, no matter who they're playing, is going to be to run the ball and run the ball often as long as, as, long as Lamar Jackson is the starter. Now, if Joe Flacco were to become the starter, then I would knock down Gus Edwards to a lower end RB2. Still would be an RB2 because I still believe they want him to get the ball at the end of the day. But a lower end RB2 with not quite as high of a floor or as high of a ceiling. As far as the wide receivers go, I'm not even going to talk about the production because there was none. I mean, Crabtree had four targets. John Brown only had one target. Uh, Crabtree only had three catches, 36 yards. That was that was it. And Brown didn't catch the one bomb that was thrown to him. That so, production wise, it's not what you're going to look at. One, 
I hold on to both Crabtree and John Brown. If I'm in the playoffs, I don't drop them because I want to see, A, who's going to be a starting quarterback. Is it going to be Flacco or Lamar Jackson? If it's going to be Flacco, then I hold on to Crabtree and John Brown. Uh, if it's not, if it's going to continue to be Lamar Jackson, I don't know how in any scenario you can trust them. Or if you've had Willie Sneed as a, as a flex play PPR guy, I don't see how you can put them in your lineups at any point during your playoff run with Lamar Jackson being the starting quarterback, showing showing what we've seen so far as him throwing the ball uh, and the game plan that's been around the Ravens as a result. So I'd hold on to him for one more week just to see who winds up being the quarterback moving forward. But if it winds up being Lamar Jackson and he's not going to get benched unless he gets hurt, I would go ahead and think about dropping Michael Crabtree and John Brown if you have to uh, or if you need another roster spot. On the Falcons' side of the ball, man, did they have a disappointing game. At home, no less. Now, look, we know the Baltimore Ravens' defense is really good and been playing lights out as of late, but this is still in Atlanta. You expect them to be able to do something on offense and need them to do something on offense, quite frankly, with some high-end fantasy players. Matt Ryan was only 16-26, 131 yards, one touchdown pass, didn't have any picks in this game, tacked on four yards rushing. He's just been incredibly disappointing as of late in general. It's been really kind of rough to watch. Um... The Falcons' offense in general has been completely inefficient. They had that really good game against the Browns coming off the bye week, and since then, they have struggled to really get into a flow. Now, usually somebody does well in the receiving game, as in Julio Jones or last week Calvin Ridley had a pretty good game. This week, Austin Hooper, I guess you could say, had a good game here because he had five catches for 44 yards and a touch on five targets, but everybody else was non-existent. Julio Jones had eight targets in this game, but two catches for 18 yards. He even had two drops on the day as well. Two catches, 18 yards. I know that absolutely killed you if you were leaning on him to try to win to get into the playoffs. Calvin Ridley only had five targets, three catches, and 22 yards. Mohamed Sanu only had four targets, three catches, and 37 yards. They play the Packers next week in Green Bay. It is a game. It's it's going to be a very interesting game because that's going to be two offenses that are struggling uh, to get going with two defenses that haven't been all that great either. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch there to see if they can get back on track. But the offense of Atlanta, to me, is not going to be efficient and back on track the way it was in the beginning of the year until they wake up and realize that they have two talented running backs and run one of them, for the love of God. I don't care which one it is, but stop this stop this platoon thing because what you're doing right now with Ito Smith and Tevin Coleman, you're taking them both out of rhythm, especially Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman needs to be in rhythm to get the most production that you want out of him. And the fact that, first of all, in this game, Ito Smith actually outcarried him by one at seven carries. 20 yards while Tevin Coleman only had six carries for eight yards in this game and neither one of them were really that involved in the passing game both only one catch Tevin Coleman for three yards Edo Smith for zero uh you're gonna have to use your goddamn running backs if you want to get going Steve Sarkeesian I'm talking to you this is why I didn't like in the beginning I do think his once his play calling gets figured out and it is predictable he does not adjust on the fly and that has been the case very very blatantly uh, thus far this year, uh, especially over the past, I would say, month or so for the Atlanta Falcons. Julio Jones has been finally getting in the end zone, but as a whole, this offense has struggled. And the fact that Tevin Coleman is pretty much, he has, to, 
I'm not dumping him because he's still a starting running back in the NFL, but there's no shot in hell I think you can trust playing Tevin Coleman in your starting lineups, even in a matchup against Green Bay that should be easier than it was against Baltimore on paper. I'm still not trusting they're going to utilize their running backs properly and actually stick to a running game to be able to go back off of play action and get that offense going again. They haven't shown me anything that they have any kind of width about them right now whatsoever, so... Tevin Coleman, I'm not dropping him because you don't drop starting NFL running backs in the playoff times, but there's no way he's in my starting lineup. I would leave him on your bench. Ito Smith, I would go ahead and drop uh, if you need to make a roster spot. Okay, our next game here, we have the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is actually a pretty entertaining one to win, uh, to watch towards the end. Buccaneers actually coming away with the win and maybe finding themselves back in a playoff race. Who knows with the wild card being so up in the air in the NFC right now. Cam Newton, 28 of 41, 300 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions. That was really the key as to why Tampa Bay won. It was the key as to why he didn't have such a great game or wasn't able to have a better game in this one. Uh, The other thing to keep in mind is that Cam apparently, I don't want to say he banged up his shoulder, but... Apparently walked away with soreness after the game on that shoulder. And that's the first time we've really heard the Panthers report him having soreness on that surgically repaired shoulder at all this season. So he probably got knocked around a little bit, got hit the wrong way, felt it a little bit. You could kind of tell, especially on if you watch that game, especially the last game, last play of the game when they were trying to do the Hail Mary, he looked like he chucked the ball up and he looked like he just didn't have anything on it or at least nothing to the velocity of which we expect Watching Cam Newton over the years, it was not even close to the end zone, first and foremost. And then when they wound up getting a second chance at it because of a penalty, uh, they brought the backup in, Taylor Hanicki, uh, to throw that. And that one actually reached the goal line, at least. It didn't quite get in the end zone, but it did reach the goal line. Uh, but yeah, Cam Cam Newton, it looked like his shoulder was kind of bothering quite a bit in this game. And it looked like he might have gotten knocked around early. Uh, and that might have been the case. So it's something to keep your eye on, but it doesn't seem to be an injury that's going to make him miss any time. And with Cam, it hasn't been about his throwing production. It's been the decent throwing production with the mixture of the really great running production this year. That is why he's been a QB1. He tacked on 33 yards rushing in this one. Not as big of a game as you're used to seeing, but even with the four interceptions, he still wound up getting you a decent day at the end of the day. He wasn't the reason you lost Week 13 if you did, in fact, lose. Christian McCaffrey here only had 10 carries, but at 106 yards on those 10 carries, had a 53-yarder at one point. He was just breaking big plays left and right this past month, playing some of his best football here down the stretch. Also tacked on nine receptions for 55 yards and had a receiving touchdown on 10 targets. Greg Olson got hurt early on in this game, apparently as a tear in his plantar fasciitis. He is out for the rest of the season as a result. So we know what happens when Greg Olson, not that Greg Olson's been that great anyway, and it affects you, especially if you've had him at tight end, you're going to have to do something there. But when Greg Olson is out, that's added targets for Christian McCaffrey, and it's added targets for Devin Funches. Now, the Devin Funches thing is the one that's interesting, because in this game, he had one catch for 10 yards. It happened to be a touchdown, so if you started him because it was against Tampa Bay and it was his first game back, you wound up being getting your ass saved because he got you a touchdown, but he only had three targets in this game. Curtis Samuels had 11 targets in this game with six catches and 88 yards. Uh, DJ Moore had eight targets in this game, only four catches and 44 yards, but that's four players. Ian Thomas came in, had five targets. 
Four players had more targets than Devin Funches in this game. Now, it was his first game back coming off of injury, so it is something to keep in mind. And now with Greg Olson out, the game plan going into the game might be to feature Devin Funches a little bit more. But Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore have become more vital parts of this offense as the season has worn on. So I don't know if I'm trusting Devin Funches at all in my starting lineups, even next week against the Cleveland Browns with no Greg Olson going into that game. Right now, the only two players I can can trust on a week-in, week-out basis is Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey's been on fire for sure. But with Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, they're boomer bust type of players. I'm not picking up Ian Thomas automatically to replace Greg Olson if I'm looking for a tight end. We saw what he did when Greg Olson was out in the first place, which was nothing. Uh, and with Devin Funches, I got to see him get healthier. It would be it, He would need to have a decent week this upcoming week as far as volume goes before I could think that he could be a wide receiver three in my starting lineups uh, if I were to move on in the playoffs week 15 or 16 or for, your, for you Bush leaguers out there week 17 as well. On the Buccaneers' side of the ball, Jameis Winston, two games in a row, did not throw an interception, which is a big deal for not just him, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in general, quite frankly. Uh, he was 20 of 30, 249 yards, two touchdowns. He also tacked, he was also the leading rusher for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He tacked on uh, five scrambles for 48 yards. He's actually been supplementing his, and that's been the one thing about Jameis Winston, why he's had a really consistent fantasy performance. Each and every week he started, he's really been adding like somewhere between 20 and 40 rushing yards pretty much every start he has. So he's been kind of supplementing his his fantasy value because he hasn't always thrown a ton of ton of yards. Uh, he has an interesting matchup coming up against the Saints next week. I think he will be at the lower end of the QB1. Uh, we'll be interesting to see because the Saints defense has been quite hot as of late. There's not the same defense that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers faced early on in the season. And of course, a different quarterback too, because that was Ryan Fitzpatrick in that game. Peyton Barber had 16 carries for 45 yards and a touchdown in this one. The touchdown was the saving grace. If you were playing Peyton Barber as a low-end RB2 flex play, uh, I don't know that you were, but he's got to be owned on some teams and those teams have to probably make some decisions with him he is a guy that they have been they have been giving the ball to a little bit more when they get inside the five yard line so he has been more of a opportunity to score type of player but still going into the playoffs he doesn't have a very high ceiling he's not somebody I'm trusting unless it was a matchup in which uh the run was going to be wide open which it will not be uh next week against the Saints Chris Godwin five catches 101 yards a touchdown six targets here Deshaun Jackson, look, he's out. I wouldn't be surprised if Deshaun Jackson winds up being out for the rest of the year, quite frankly. Chris Godwin, it, they're not going to bring back Deshaun next year anyway. Chris Godwin needs to get improved, needs to get more involved in this offense. He needs to be a future staple of this offense moving forward. And Adam Humphreys has been very solid as well. He has seven catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets in this game. The only disappointment was Mike Evans. Four catches, 48 yards on six targets, coming off of a really big game last week. He needs to be a little bit more consistent as we get into the playoffs here uh, with him being more of a boomer bust player over the past month. It really kind of makes you fret because he he is everyone's wide receiver one, whoever owns him, of course. Uh, so It'll be interesting to see, especially against the Saints uh, next week. Cameron Brait, six targets, three catches, 36 yards. Production wasn't great. He didn't wind up getting a touchdown, but he still got six targets in a game in which the Buccaneers didn't throw as much as they normally do. 30 times, believe it or not, is on the low end as far as pass attempts go for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So 
I like the volume that Cameron Bray got. I'm not panicking on him. If you picked him up, if you picked him up, you have a low-end tight end one on your hand. So I wouldn't panic on that at all. All right, next up here, we got the Broncos and we got the Cincinnati Bengals. This was kind of an interesting game in the fact that, one, the big news of, of course, this game is that A.J. Green winds up re-aggravating injury on his toe. He's going to have to undergo surgery now and be out for the rest of the season. So what does that mean for the rest of the Bengals? Well, Tyler Boyd becomes the number one wide receiver. If you listen to this podcast, you know how I feel about Tyler Boyd being the number one wide receiver. I don't think it's as good of a situation for him. Now, Knowing that A.J. Green is going to have to be out for the rest of the season, maybe the Bengals will prepare a little bit differently moving forward. He's definitely going to have volume, but I've I've constantly said it before and I'll continue to say it. Tyler Boyd is a much better and a more productive player when he gets to be a complement rather than the number one focus of the opposing defense. So that's the difference there. That is why I am not... I do not love the fact, and I'm a Tyler Boyd owner, and I do not love the fact that A.J. Green is going to be out for the rest of the year. In fact, it makes me a little hesitant on what I can expect as far as the ceiling goes out of Tyler Boyd. You can still you can still expect a decent floor because the volume is going to be there enough where he's not going to dud you or anything like that. And he's always going to have an opportunity to score as well because for being a predominantly slot receiver, he's still a little bit over six foot. He has a good body for the red zone. Jeff Driscoll definitely seems to want to look for him uh, quite a bit as well. So that also helps uh, with his floor goes. But his ceiling, I'm a little hesitant what his ceiling can be without AJ Green being the guy who's going to, the defenses are going to game plan for as the number one target from the Cincinnati Bengals. In this game, he had six catches for 97 yards and eight targets. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that Chris Harris hurt his fibula in this game and possibly a broken fibula. And he might be out for the rest of the season now. We're still waiting on official word for that. If you were streaming the Broncos defense, that's going to give you some things to think about as well. But with Tyler Boyd, a lot of it had to do with suddenly he went, uh, AJ Green went out, so he got a little bit of added volume, and Chris Harris went out, so the matchup became much easier than it would have been otherwise. So I'm not taking a lot out of this game. They do have a decent matchup coming up over the next couple of weeks, where I do think that the volume with Boyd, even if he is the number one focus of the opponent's defense, he should still be okay at the end of the day. I think he's a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three still moving forward. But when A.J. Green was in there and this offense was humming, he was a mid to high level wide receiver too. I don't think he's quite at that category, even being now the number one wide receiver in what is definitely a pass first offense. Because as we saw here, A.J. Green goes out, you're playing against the Denver Broncos, where you should be able to run the ball more effectively than pass the ball. And Joe Mixon still only had 12 carries in this game. And this game wasn't a blowout in any sense, in any stretch of the means uh, for most of the game. Look, at the halftime, it was only 7-3. to three. So for a game in which it was mostly close, Joe Mixon only had 12 carries in this game. Now, he took it for 82 yards. That's just because he's a hell of a player. But this is still a pass-first team, even with the backup quarterback in, even with A.J. Green going down early in the first quarter. That much has been made clear. He did tack on two catches for 13 yards on two targets. I would suspect with A.J. Green out, Joe Mixon will start to get more involved in the passing game moving forward. Uh, John Ross will also probably go back to being a a red zone target because that's seemingly 
becoming what he was. He still didn't put up much production as far as yards go uh, with A.J. Green out, but he did get touchdowns in those games that he started in A.J. Green's place. Now, in this game, he only had two catches for 13 yards on three targets because all the targets went to Gene Bernard, Tyler Boyd, and C.J. Uzuma. Giovanni Bernard getting eight targets for six catches and 32 yards in this game bothers me a little bit when it comes to Joe Mixon's value moving forward. Because the thing about you like about Joe Mixon is that he's a fe- he should be a true featured back in the sense of he's playing every single down, every single situation with Bernard spelling him once in a while, and all of a sudden that really wasn't the case in this game. Bernard was playing on passing down situations, which is why Joe Mixon wasn't as involved. Now, like I said, it could have been part of the game plan just for this particular week. Uh, Joe Mixon has proven he's a hell of a playmaker. Uh, they, you know, before he got hurt earlier on in the season, he was lying up at wide receiver. So the Bengals know he can catch the ball. So this could have been just a one week weird type of situation here. CJ Uzuma did have seven targets for five catches and 33 yards. He continues to get the volume that you look for in a streaming tight end, but also continues to not be productive with that volume as well. All right, before we get into our last three games of the podcast, I'm going to go ahead and do the waiver wire segment here real quick for you guys and then do and wrap up the rest of the podcast. But of course, very important waiver wire segment going into week 14. Steals on the wire. This has to be the first waiver wire segment I've done where all the players on here, except for one, are incredibly and utterly widely available. Having said that, it's also a lot of handcuffs because that is what's important this week, as we saw with injuries to James Conner. Uh, getting banged up here. Now, we don't know if he's actually going to wind up missing time because it was being reported it's just a leg contusion, uh, in which, if that's the case, he could possibly not miss any time whatsoever. Uh, if you're James Cobb, but Jalen Samuels is still somebody you're going to have to pick up, and he's only he's available in three or he's available in 97% of leagues because he's only owned in 3.2% of leagues. That is an important handcuff you have to pick up. This is why we talk about picking up handcuffs in Week 12 and Week 13, especially if you know you're in a good position to make the playoffs uh, early on. But maybe you weren't in that spot, and maybe you need that waiver, that that extra order spot for a waiver order pickup, and, and you need to pick up you know a key defense or another extra wide receiver because you had a bad matchup, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's, it's something that's nice to be able to do before you get into a situation situation where everyone's going to have their eyes on your handcuff so that's why but Sam Jalen Samuel is going to be probably one of the top pickups this week he's only owned in 3.2 percent of leagues the number one pickup because we already know that Matt Breida is ruled out for next week will be Jeff Wilson Jr. who is wait for it owned in zero percent of leagues zero he is available in one 100% of leagues out there. So if you play fantasy football, this is probably the first player and possibly the last time I'm ever going to get to do this, so that's why I want to harp on it, that you will be guaranteed Jeff Wilson Jr. is available if you play fantasy football and in your league. He is there, and he's going to start this week. And maybe they activate Alfred Morris for depth, possibly, but I think they're over the Alfred Morris uh, experiment there as far as being a platoon running back. Uh, they like Jeff Wilson Jr. quite a bit. He's built a little bit bigger. And let's face it, the 49ers are at the part of the season where really you're just playing for a draft pick at this point and playing for pride. So I don't see why they would give Alfred Morris the amount of volume that he was getting when he was active playing second fiddle to Matt Breida. So we could see Jeff Wilson get 
a lot of work, kind of the same amount of work that he got this past week, which we'll talk about, of course, in, in tomorrow's recap. But he got a lot of work with Matt Breida getting hurt, apparently, in warmups and Kyle Shanahan not bothering to tell anybody because he's an asshole. Yeah, I'm a 49ers fan. Kyle Shanahan's a fraud as far as actual football goes. But I digress. We're still in the waiver wire segment. I don't want to get I don't want to get too ramped up with Kyle Shanahan. Jeff Wilson Jr., number one pickup of the week, is available in 100% of leagues out there. Darren Sproles, wait, we, we're recording this Monday night, so I don't know what Darren Sproles is going to do tonight as of yet. But I will say, I got some breaking news here. While recording, just got word, or as I'm, I have the game on the background, actually, Colt McCoy just got hurt, hurt his right leg. Looks kind of bad. Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez is in the game right now. Man, I can't wait to go over the recap tomorrow to see how this game turns out in that episode. Of course, this podcast or any other podcast from the MD Fantasy Football Show, just go to www.mdfantasyfootball.podbean.com. We're available on iTunes, Simplecast, Radio Public, anywhere you go for your podcast needs. The MD Fantasy Football Show is available for you and the most important time to be listening to the MD Fantasy Football Show as well. But yeah, Darren Sproles, He's only owned 2.6% of leagues. He could be a PPR flex play if he comes into this game right off the bat and acts as the passing down back on and as the high volume passing down back at that. It would need to be that in order to pick him up. But something to keep your eye on, and I put him on this list just because I don't know yet what his role is going to be in this first week back. Chase Edmonds, we just saw him go for two touchdowns. Look, he's still the second fiddle to David Johnson. He only had five carries on the day. He just had an uber-efficient day with the limited amount of work that he got. But he is the handcuff to David Johnson. Uh, so it's definitely somebody worth owning, especially if you are a David Johnson owner and you have the ability to do so and you're in the playoffs. Plus, he's one of those handcuffs. The thing about handcuffs you have to take into consideration as well is not just that, okay, are you you know the second string to the starter? You want to take a guy who has shown that he he himself has enough talent to be productive if given a major role as a starting running back. Chase Evans has shown that he has some talent and ability to produce if he were to get a high volume at a pretty decent level. Maybe not a David Johnson level. That offense still has a lot of issues in the offensive line, but at a decent level nonetheless. So Chase Edmonds, definitely if you're a David Johnson owner, you should be picking up Chase Edmonds here moving forward. Dante Pettis, only probably my, I think my, now one of two, one of three wide receivers available in my wave wire segment this week, only owned in 2.2% of leagues. Look, we don't know when Pierre Garcon is going to come back from his injury. We don't know when Marquise Goodwin is going to come back from his personal matter. With Marquise Goodwin, a lot of people think it will be next week, but we'll see what happens. And Pierre Garcon is still out. Dante Pettis has been on a tear the last two weeks, getting the volume as the number one wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. He had a touchdown last week. He had two touchdowns. Uh, this 139 yards this past week. Uh, he's been absolutely on fire. Nick Mullins has been firing him all over the field. He is somebody who, if I'm going to be picking up a wide receiver that I'm going to roll the dice on, he is somebody who I'm going to take that chance on, especially given the role with San Francisco moving forward and the rapport that he definitely has here with Nick Mullins with the added starting potential that he might be having for the rest of the season. Curtis Samuels, he's only owned in 3.2% of the league, so he is 97% available as well. He's very boomer bust as well, but I think he's a guy worth putting on your bench if you have the ability to do so. Like I said, Greg Olson's outside frees up some targets, but 
DJ Moore, Curtis Samuels, one of the two has been having good games. And this past week, both of them got some decent volume. Uh, I would pick him up to have him on the back end of your bench. And if you think the matchup is right or in your situation where you're just like, look, you got to go hit a home run. I don't think he would be a bad play here. He's been getting worked in more and more over the past few weeks in that offense and does have big play capability. Rhett Ellison, I talked to him a little I talked about him a little bit when we went over the Giant Chicago Bear game. He's only owned in 2.4% of leagues. If you're looking for tight ends, the volume will quite possibly be there with Rhett Ellison. Uh, I don't know how much production you're looking for. He's still going to be a touchdown boomer bust tight end like the rest of them, but with the volume being there, he's somebody you might want to look at, especially, you know, if you just lost Greg Olson or what have you. Uh, and my last player is Josh Reynolds. He's owned in 45% of leagues, so he's not as widely available, but still in the majority of leagues is. I still think he is a a main cog in that passing attack offense. It's still an offense that's going to put up a lot of points. It's still an offense that's going to do well in the passing game more times than not uh, as we move forward through the playoffs. I think he's a very decent uh, wide receiver three to be able to have, especially in a PPR league moving forward. This past game where he didn't do much, nobody in the passing game did a lot for the Rams in this week. So I would throw this week out and not take too much from it. All right, so that'll wrap up the waiver. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One more player, Rod Smith. Rod Smith, 2.2% of leagues he's owned in. Back up to Ezekiel Elliott. Just another reason of getting handcuffs. Look, when you're doing your playoff rosters, you're shortening the list. You know who it is that you trust in your starting lineups week in and week out. So all these other players on your bench that maybe they have value during the season in theory, whatever. But if you don't trust them to put in your starting lineups within the next three over the next three weeks or next four weeks for some leagues, I am dumping some of those guys, and I'm picking up my handcuffs to make sure that the lineup that I do have in place, that I do trust, stays intact, and I don't have to fight for guys on the waiver order if I have a catastrophic injury. So that is where a lot of these handcuffs are more important than maybe some players who did well this past week that are available on a lot of other waiver wires as well. All right, so that wraps up the waiver wire segment that time. So let's move on real quick to the Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not a lot to go over in this game. Look, throw everything you saw about the Colts game, just throw it out, except for, of course, the still consistent performance of Eric Ebron being a great top five tight end who, no matter what happens, it seems like on the offense with Jack Doyle out, will still always be heavily involved and showing why he was always a very good athletic tight end and why the Detroit Lions are just a bunch of idiots. Uh, Andrew Luck here, 33 of 52, 248 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, finally breaks his three-touchdown streak. Marlon Mack didn't do a whole lot here. He didn't do a whole lot the first time against the Jaguars. I don't think anybody, if unless you absolutely had to, I don't think anybody was expecting big things out of Marlon Mack this particular week. He had eight carries, 27 yards, no touchdowns. The big surprise to me here was that the lack of involvement in the passing game. We know they have Naeem Hines. They know we know that they like to use Naeem Hines on passing downs. I get all that. But Marlon Mack had still been involved in the passing game up until this week to at least some degree. But in this game, it took a clear shift. Naeem Hines had nine catches for fifty yards on nine targets. Marlon Mack only had one target, one catch, six yards. Look, Marlon Mack is very explosive out in open field. More explosive than Naeem Hines. I know they like Naeem Hines coming out of the backfield, and he's a good pass catcher, and I get all that, and I don't have a problem using him in that situation. But when you have a guy like Marlon Mack who's explosive as he is, especially when he gets out on the perimeter, he should be a little bit more involved in the passing game than what he was in this game. Look, better days are ahead for Marlon Mack. I know he had those two big games, and as of late, he hasn't been as effective for people. I get all that, but... 
They've also had a lot of tough matchups over the last few weeks. Their matchups get a little bit better here moving forward to get to play the Houston Texans while not a great run defense, but it's more about volume with Marlon Mack. He played Tennessee a couple weeks ago. That wasn't a great matchup as far as, uh, you know, a efficiency running the ball against them or for running backs for fantasy running backs going against them but he still winds up having 60 yards and a touchdown because he was able to get 16 carries it's that volume the Colts need to be either in the game or leading the game and 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 not having to throw a bunch in this game you can say like well this game was only you know only one of being six to nothing it was three to nothing most of the game this entire game they were trying to get something going in the passing game they were they're just struggling so much on offense that they kind of went into a a come from behind mentality if you will maybe too early on and also unnecessarily uh, and that happens sometimes but I, I don't expect them to get shut out ever again for the rest of this season and the Jaguars just played their their arguably one of their best games of the season I, it's, even though they lost that Steelers game they still played really well in that Steelers game and even though they won this game I would still almost argue that maybe as a team they played better in that Steelers game but one of their two best games of the of the year where their defense finally showed what their defense is capable of doing and you thought they were going to show pretty much all season long. So just throw it out. Don't think too much of it. T.Y. Hill got a little banged up in this game, but he was able to come back, so that's the good news. He had 13 targets, 8, eight catches, 77 yards. Eric Ebron had 16 targets in this game, 10 catches, 81 yards. I wouldn't expect 16 targets again, <laughs> but it just shows you that Ebron, T.Y. Hilton... That is the main passing game as far as down the field goes for the Colts, no matter what the situation is. Uh, on the Jaguars side of the ball, Cody Kessler got the start. He went 18 into 124, or 18 of 24, not 124 attempts. <laughs> 150 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Carlos Hyde at 13 carries, so he got the bulk of the work on the ground as we expected, but. Only had 36 rushing yards. And I also, I don't know if he's wearing a flak jacket or what the deal is, but maybe it's just me. You could say, please comment at MDFF show on Facebook and on Twitter if you think I'm wrong or even if you agree. But he looks like he's gotten a hell of a lot fatter since he's left Cleveland and come to Jacksonville. And it's, it's been a very short period of time. So I don't know if he's just wearing some extra padding that he wasn't in Cleveland that I didn't notice, but. I went back and I looked at the tape because when I was watching him yesterday in that game against the Colts, I was like, he looked incredibly fat to me all of a sudden. And I went back, I watched his Cleveland, I'm like, you know, he was never skinny, he was never a little boy, of of course, but I, to me, I definitely noticed a difference. So unless he's wearing some extra padding, I don't know. The Eagles must be a hell of a lot better in Jacksonville than they are in Cleveland then because Carlos High looks like he gained a shit little weight over the last month uh, since coming down to Jacksonville. I, it was just, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Let me know at, M- at MDFF Show on Facebook and on Twitter. What do you think about that? Uh, and really, it would show up here too because only 2.8 yards of carry. He looked as non explosive as he ever has at any point in this season. And he did, he did look, he did look like he was lacking speed. He was on Cleveland in quite a few games as well. TJ Yeldon, to be expected, was the leading pass catcher. If Cody Kessler is going to be the starter, and I think he is going to be the starter for the rest of the season, I don't think this was just a one-week deal with benching Blake Bortles, 
uh, the check down is going to be the go-to. So TJ Yeldon's going to get a lot of work. Now, we got to see how this breaks down when Leonard Fournette comes back next week because they did like to use Leonard Fournette a little bit more in the passing game than they had uh, in his rookie season. So we'll see what happens when he comes back off the suspension next week, how that breaks down. I don't think TJ Yeldon is going to be quite as involved, but he's still going to be involved in the passing down situation. Seven catches, 49 yards on eight targets in this game. Look, at the end of the day, you kind of just throw it out. With Cody Kessler being the quarterback, you know what Jacksonville's going to try to do, especially with Leonard Fournette in the game. I don't think any pass catcher is worth anything. That includes even TJ Yeldon in a, a flex PPR position, uh, kind of like a theoretic situation. I still wouldn't trust that as well either. Moncrief, four targets. D.D. Westbrook, five targets. Keelan Cole, two targets. Three catches, 40 yards for Dante Moncrief. Five, three catches for 25 yards for D.D. Westbrook. Look, you weren't trying to trust any of the Jacksonville Jaguar wide receivers at any point this season anyway, but I'm especially not trusting them now. And I'm dumping them and not even looking back at the waiver wire as a matter of fact. All right, so we got the Bills and the Dolphins up now. Uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a huge fantasy day. And it's the second week in a row we had a really good fantasy day. But this, this particular week... A huge fantasy day. Why? He ran for 135 yards and wasn't terrible production as far as the passing game goes. 231 yards, 18 to 33, two touchdowns, two interceptions in this game. Now, I know what a lot of people are going to say. Like, well, that puts him in streaming category moving forward, right? Two weeks in a row. It looks pretty decent. Puts, puts numbers out that puts him in the streaming status. Yeah, if this was in the middle of the season. This is the playoff time. Can you really look me in the eye and anybody else who's any kind of glorified or or self-acclaimed fantasy expert out there and tell me that they're going to tell you to pick up Josh Allen and play him in your starting lineups in the playoffs with any kind of confidence whatsoever in that Bills offense? Hell to the no. So don't pick up Josh Allen. Don't fall into that trap. I don't care. If he's Yes, he's running like a banshee out there. And yes, Of the quarterbacks we were talking about, Lamar Jackson running and Josh Allen running, Josh Allen does seemingly put up better passing numbers than Lamar Jackson does, or at least the same, if nothing else. I'm personally, I'm not putting either one of them in my starting lineups, but there's just no way I'm going to go out there and put Josh Allen in my starting lineup and pick him up off the waiver wire. So just, if somebody else wants to be that ballsy in a playoff situation, let them be. Let them make that mistake. It's still the Buffalo Bills offense. It could still implode at any given minute. So just just don't get ahead of yourself. That's really all I'm saying here. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, 15 carries, 52 yards. The thing about McCoy with Josh Allen in the game is he still doesn't get that involved in the passing game. He does have four catches here, but only for 12 yards. It's just, it's just really kind of disheartening to see because with Derek Anderson or Matt Barkley, McCoy was actually an effective pass catcher. Uh, but those are the only two quarterbacks. Nathan Peterman played or Josh Allen played. I don't know. I don't, especially being a rookie, I don't know how you don't just find it easier to dump the ball off to your best playmaker on the team to begin with. But they just don't do that. And Josh Allen just doesn't do that. And he doesn't put him and when he does dump it off to him, he doesn't put him in a situation for him to be able to do anything with the ball on top of it. So look, McCoy continues to be a low end, high volume flex play at this point, but unless the matchup is just so good for the Bills to run against, which I don't believe they don't get I don't I don't believe they have one of those matchups in the next three to four weeks uh, for the playoff run. I would look to have other... I'm not dropping LaShawn McCoy, but I would look to have other options uh, in my starting lineup. On the Dolphins side of the ball, 
I don't think there's any fantasy players you could trust here either, and there's only one I'd even think about playing, and that's Kenyon Drake. He had seven carries for 31 yards, only one less carry than Frank Gore, so that split a lot, hell of a lot closer and has pretty much been all season long, or at least since September. Uh, did score a receiving touchdown here, only had two catches for 13 yards, though, uh, on four targets. Devontae Parker was actually involved in the passing game. Seven targets, four catches, 43 yards, and a touchdown, but he's nobody I would trust. Kenny Stills actually scored in this game. Four catches, 37 yards, a touchdown on six targets. He's nobody I would trust. So I don't, other than Kenyon Drake being a boom or bust playmaking flex player, I don't know who else in the Dolphins is really somebody you're considering as far as fantasy purposes go. Ryan Tannehill was 16 to 24 for 137 yards. Had three passing touchdowns and an interception. He's not a streaming guy either. So you're playing Kenyon Drake knowing that he has the ability to break a big one, knowing that he does seem to get a good amount of work once they get inside of the 20, whether it's catching the ball or running the ball. He's the only one I trust, but even him, I would always feel uneasy about being in my starting lineup. There's just nobody in this Dolphins team fantasy-wise I think you can trust uh, as of right now, just because I hope Adam Gase gets fired, but they win again here. They play the Patriots next week. I don't think they beat the Patriots by any stretch of the means, but at the same time, who the hell knows? And they're doing just enough for Adam Gase to stick around for another year. God help us all now. The only saving grace might be if Frank Gore decides to retire at the end of this season, and we'll get into that next year, of course. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know what to think about the Dolphins moving forward if Adam Gase is going to continue being the head coach. All right, for our last game and probably one of our other biggest news from the weekend, uh, the Arizona Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers. Ding, dong, ding, dong, the witch is dead, and the witch is Mike McCarthy. Thank God this guy is finally gone. My only frustration at this point is that Aaron Rodgers had to spend the entirety of his career with this bonehead of a so-called offensive-minded head coach and is the single most blockade asshole of a reason why Aaron Rodgers only has one Super Bowl ring. I mean, Mike McCarthy is that reason. The Packers have had some good teams over the years. Aaron Rodgers is just as good, if not better, of a talent quarterback than Tom Brady with the same kind of mindset and the mental capacity of the game and the fundamentals and everything else. And the only reason I think he only has one Super Bowl is because Mike McCarthy has been his head coach. And on the day that Aaron Rodgers turns 35, finally, Mike McCarthy is gone. But... In true Packer fashion, they fall one step short of actually actually fixing the problem. They should have fired McCarthy and Joe Philbin. Not fired McCarthy and then named Joe Philbin the interim head coach. They should have taken a page out of the Cleveland Browns playbook from earlier in the year when they fired both Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley and got somebody else with a different background, a different mindset, calling plays for that offense. And they didn't do that. Joe Philbin is no different, no different than Mike McCarthy as far as offensive philosophy goes, as far as what kind of playbook, what kind of, what kind of concepts they'll be running, the play calling that will be going on. No different. If anything, Joe Philbin might be the one person on the goddamn planet who is a so-called West Coast person in the offensive tree who might be even less creative and more vanilla than Mike McCarthy. 
The one person. They should have fired both of them. I was hoping that was what they were going to do. And then when I saw they fired Mike McCarthy, I got really excited. And then my excitement turned into disappointment when Joe Philbin was named the interim head coach. And I'm sitting there. I'm just like, the only thing that could possibly change is if Joe Philbin will just go to Aaron Rodgers and say, look, because I'm open to just doing something different, I'm just going to go ahead and turn the offense over to you. And you're going to tell us what you want to run. That is the only way anything in this offense changes for the Green Bay Packers by firing Mike McCarthy and starting and and uh, promoting Joe Philbin to the interim head coach. That's the only thing that has a possibility of changing. So that is my disappointment there as far as the Mike McCarthy firings go. I'm happy and yet disappointed at the same time. Aaron Rodgers in this game, look, this was a terrible game out of the Packers in general, but Aaron Rodgers, 31 of 50. So he finally had 50 throws, which he hasn't gotten that high volume really in a while, which has been part of the problem, but still not a lot of production. 233 yards only. One touchdown, zero interceptions, a bunch of drops out of his wide receivers, a bunch of bad routes, and an offense just looked incohesive throughout the entirety of the game. Aaron Jones wasn't very good in this game, which was surprising because the Cardinals had been a team you could run on. He only had 11 carries for 36 yards. Did get you the rushing touchdown, so he still bails you out at the end of the day. Did tack on 16 yards receiving, but still not as good of a day as he should have been able to have against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh... Devontae Adams had eight catches for 93 yards and a touch. He continues to do well regardless of what the rest of the offense is doing. Although, he had a couple of key drops that A, would have gave him a better game, but would have gave Aaron Rodgers and that offense as a whole a much better day as well. Jimmy Graham, eight catches, 50 yards on 11 targets. Uh, heavily involved coming off two of the thumb injury. They're using him in the passing game, so you're a little bit worried because of what his snap count was the week before, but... They are definitely still using Jimmy Graham a lot uh, as far as passing game goes. He's gotten that volume. If he's in PPR leagues, you, you get a good game out of him here. So uh, that's good news because Jimmy Graham was borderline droppable coming into this week, not knowing exactly what the nature of that thumb injury was and how much he was going to be able to do on it. Uh, Randall Cobb. You know, three catches, 25 yards on five targets his first game back. He continues to just be a guy you leave on the waiver wire. I just don't know what you expect out of Randall Cobb at this point. Marquez Valdez-Scantling continues to be irrelevant. He did have seven targets in this game, so his target share went way back up to what it was before, but only two catches, 19 yards. He did add on two rushes for 29 yards. They tried to get him involved in a couple of end arounds, uh, and and St. Brown wasn't involved at all in this game, but... Uh, Scantling is somebody who looked promising earlier on and is no longer somebody uh, who you're even thinking about picking up or playing. Josh Rosen was 11 of 26, 149 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He did just enough not to lose his game, basically. David Johnson had 20 carries for 69 yards, not the production you want to see. The other disappointing thing about David Johnson was he only had one catch for three yards. I thought the whole point was to get David Johnson more involved in both the rushing and the receiving game, to get him out in space more often so he could actually make big plays. And that wasn't the case in the game, which it should have been there for him in this matchup, being how close it was and how the Cardinals played in this game. Chase Edmonds, uh, look, I'm a David Johnson owner. I was just frustrated as everybody else when they saw Chase Edmonds get two, not one, but two red zone 
touchdowns in this game. Incredibly frustrating, but not something that I'm fearful of in the future. This this isn't like Chase Edmonds has suddenly become the goal line back where David Johnson does all the work and all of a sudden everybody else closes out. That's not really the case here. Uh, It just happened to work out that way in this particular game. Christian Kirk on the IR gets hurt in this game. He's out for the rest of the season. That could be added volume for Larry Fitzgerald. He had three catches for 48 yards on six targets. We'll have to see Chad Williams might be back off of injury soon. We'll have to see how that goes. But Larry Fitzgerald is the only one you were trusting here. And that in itself could lead to more targets for David Johnson as well. Ricky Seals-Jones continues to be not involved since Byron Leftwich has taken over. Three, three targets, one catch, 10 yards in this game. But something to keep your eye on with Christian Kirk out that could be added volume for Larry Fitzgerald and more importantly, David Johnson in the receiving game moving forward. All right, that's going to wrap up the Week 13 Recap part one. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, jump on that waiver wire segment. If you want to listen to this episode or any others, www.mdfantasyfootball.podbean.com or on iTunes, Simplecast, Radio Public, anywhere you go for your podcast needs, the MD Fantasy Football Show is there for you. I do have a quick announcement. I am not going to be available to do the Week 14 Preview Part 2 on Friday, so I'm going to do a full Week 14 Preview on Thursday. I'll make sure you're up to date with all the player injury news that you're going to have to look for over the weekend. And of course, at MDFF Show on Facebook and on Twitter for any start sick questions you may have. I'll only have a start sick uh, segment on Thursday as a result. But and and also at MDFF Show on Twitter for all those player update noti- news notifications. I'll be available on Twitter and Facebook all throughout the weekend, even though I won't be available to do a show on Friday. So don't worry about that too much. Uh, just keep in mind. Thursday full week 14 preview but I will be back tomorrow for the week 13 recap part two where we go over the four o'clock the Sunday night and the Monday night games I'm your host Dan Mater and I will see you guys tomorrow now is the time to find your color your paint and everything to get started during red white and blue savings at the Home Depot Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Get enhanced security for your Wi-Fi network with Xfinity XFi. If it's connected, it's protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today for fast speeds and the best in-home Wi-Fi experience. Get great coverage throughout your home. Plus, ask how to get enhanced network security, safer browsing, and more with XFi Advantage. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit an Xfinity store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.